Support for WIPR's podcasts comes from Brightview Senior Living. Since 1999, Brightview has proudly served Greater Baltimore with vibrant, independent living, assisted living, memory care, and enhanced care. Find a community near you at brightviewseniorliving.com. I remember meeting this young girl, and she was very cute, had long brunette hair, and she's like, oh, I really like your hat. Can I have your hat? So we had this porta potty right by our campsite, but I had not familiarized myself with it. Don't even get me started on indoor plumbing. I love indoor plumbing. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Stoop Storytelling Series podcast. I'm Laura Wexler. And I am Jessica Hinkin. And this week on the podcast, Scouting Shenanigans, three stories about what really happens on those scouting trips. Hint, it's not just s'mores. Oh, no, it, it, it isn't. Second hint, it's not going to be gross. It's not. We're not doing anything gross here or untoward. And third hint, we are not in any way endorsing the Boy Scouts of America. Correct. I mean, listen, it's fine. It's all fine. It's just three stories that happen to be related to the Boy Scouts. It's fine. Okay, before we get started, we want to thank Mend Acupuncture, uh, which offers enjoyable and low stress and healing acupuncture in the Baltimore area. All right, Jess, how about this first story? Davey L, we don't know what his last name is. He shared this story at one of our most recent all audience storytelling shows that we have. Um, this one was at Creative Alliance at the Patterson in uh, Highland Town, Baltimore. Um, and he just came up and told this really funny, kind of wacky, unique story about his Boy Scout camp experience. Take a listen. I grew up a very privileged life. I grew up as a military brat. And in 2011, I had the chance to go to Essex, England uh, for the Boy Scout World Jamboree. And it's a group of hundreds of kids, uh, mostly young men, boys. Um, And we got to go over there. And our scout leader was from England. So he was kind of our local guide. Well, in 2011, I was an 11-year-old boy. And I lived in Minot, North Dakota, and grew up a very sheltered life. Uh, I lived on an Air Force base, didn't really have a lot of friends, just kind of did my own thing. So going over to England was kind of a culture shock to me. And I remember meeting this young girl, and she was very cute, had long brunette hair. And she's like, oh, I really like your hat. Can I have your hat? And I was like, a girl likes me? What is this? This is awesome. So I gave her my hat. And then she touches my knee and rubs it for a second and then giggles and runs away. And then I was like, I went up to my, my friend and I was just like, Drew, what just happened? And, and she goes, I don't know. She just touched your knee. And my scoutmaster overheard me and goes, did one of the Essex girls just touch your knee? And I was like, I was like yeah. And he goes, do you know what that means? And I was like, no. And he goes, they say when you touch your knee, it gives you an eighth of an orgasm. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and like being an 11-year-old kid, I'm like... I, I don't even know what, the, like, did something happen? I'm so confused. It's like, I did not realize, like, this is how that works. <sighs> so I was, I was really, like, kind of just shocked and taken back. And, of course, my mom's on the trip with me, and she hears about it. She goes, you cannot see this woman again. You, you have no interaction with her. I was like, oh, gosh. So, so then she comes by again, and she goes, oh, we're going to the disco later. Are you coming? I was just like, yeah, okay, I'll come. And so my mom was petrified, but the, there was, the disco was just a, basically a giant dance in a field. And 
So I end up going uh, with a couple of my friends, and there's chaperones and whatnot, but we end up dancing, and she's like literally, and like, I'm a good like Christian boy growing up, so I'm just like keeping like my room, saving room for Jesus, and she's just like, she reaches back and starts rubbing on my knee, and I'm like, I don't think I'm ready for this, I'm too young. And, and then she leans in and kisses me, and, like, I kiss her with my mouth open like this, and we smack teeth, and then she runs off crying, and I never saw her again, and I never got my hat back. That's my story. Do you think uh, Davey did not want his last name known because he was worried the Scout Mafia would come after him? I don't think so. I, I think what I love the most about it is his, he does a really great British accent like um better than yours let's hear yours I know I'm not even gonna try you no. are great uh, at a bitter British accent I have several British accents because I'm a total Anglophile but his was it, it was an accent that I find very hard to do which I think is pretty it was the Yorkshire accent that's what he did oh wow yeah Anyway, all right. Uh, before we get on to our next story of scouting shenanigans, we want to thank Baltimore Magazine. You can find them on newsstands and at baltimoremagazine.com. Okay, so this next story was shared by Rosemary Round, who is also um, shared a bunch of stories at the stoop and really, really cool, um, thoughtful writer here in Baltimore. Um, do you remember one of her stories was about losing her voice? Do you remember that, Jess? Yeah, yeah it was great. Oh my yeah. God. Um, anyway, this one is about what it's like to be um, a parent on a scouting trip and the glories and indignities of, um, of camping with a bunch of boys and men. Okay, so um, I just came back from Camp Nobi Bosco, Nobi Bosco. Anyone been there? It stands for North Bergen Boy Scouts. I was chaperone on a Boy Scout trip over the weekend. And um, thank you. Yes, I only did it because no one else had signed up. <laughs> so um, I used to do a lot of hiking and camping, but it's been a long time. So long that I didn't realize that my, um, what, what are those self-inflating sleeping pads called? Thermarest. My Thermarest has a leak. So I didn't know. So um, we were in tents on platforms, but nevertheless, it's just wood planks. And um, the first night, it took a while to settle down and get to sleep in my tent on my boards with my flat pad <laughs> and um, lights out had been announced as 11 o'clock the scoutmaster who I'm going to call Bob had come back to the campsite and told the kids it's lights out get in your tents and then he went back to hang out with his friends from the boy scout troops from all over the mid-Atlantic um, who he only sees at these events so it's like a great thing for him when he goes to these So I eventually got to sleep. The camp was quiet. And then um, I was awakened by talking. And Bob and a couple of his 
friend from a different regional Boy Scout troop who are sitting at the picnic table about 20 feet from my tent, catching up. And it was about 1 o'clock in the morning. And then it was 1.30 in the morning. And then it was like 2, I think. I think. I don't know exactly what time it was, but it was well after lights out. And I was not falling back asleep, and I was really struggling with myself and my censorious nature and my shame about my censorious nature (laughs) and, like, how to let them know that they were keeping me awake for over an hour now, and I really wanted them not to go on keeping me awake without hating myself for the rest of the trip and having them hate me. So I eventually did all the necessary social calculation (laughs) and was able to get up and go out and, in a nice way, say, you guys pulling an (laughs) all-nighter? No, I I I can hear your whole conversation and... It's really late, and I need some sleep. And they were cool with it. They, they said, oh, you should have told us sooner. I was like, oh, no, well, you know, I, 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 it was fine. <laughs> and they went to bed, and I went back to sleep. And the next night, um, they didn't hang out at the picnic table. I went to sleep much more easily. I was getting used to sleeping on the boards. Um, and they were hanging out at the dining area um, far from our campsite. But then they came back, (laughs) and I was awakened by Bob and his friend at the next tent over talking about gear, like talking at 1.30 in the morning about tents. You know, because camping, like, there's a lot of talk about gear when you camp. Like, that's a big thing. But at one in the morning, I was really mad. But it didn't go on very long, and I got back to sleep, so okay. You know, moving on. So night three of three. Three nights. Three nights. Three nights. Long weekend. So on night three... There was no chat. I got to sleep, was sleeping soundly. And then I was awakened, not by talk, but by a noise. And it had been raining. But it wasn't raining heavily when I woke up, so I didn't associate it with the rain at first. The noise sounded like this. Not so resonant, because it wasn't on a mic, but this was kind of the rhythm. I thought, some kid was, like, doing some drumming. It's like, really bad. Like, I'm just going to give it to this kid. (laughs) But it kept going on. I thought, you know, no kid can keep it up that long with a kind of steady rhythm not perfectly even but pretty regular and continuous so what was it 
it must be water falling off the roof of the latrine onto a bucket. Now, I, I neglected to mention that shortly before we came to Nobi Bosco, they had some kind of problem with their water, so we didn't have flush toilets. They had porta potties, and our campsite had a latrine, which I had not used. I used the porta potties because they had toilet paper. There were some for women only, and the walls of the porta potties went all the way down to the ground, whereas the latrine walls ended at about here. <laughs> so you could see the feet of whoever was in there. So we had this porta potty right by our campsite, but I had not familiarized myself with it. So the rain bucket hypothesis was plausible, sort of. Um, so, okay, I'm awake. I sort of need to go. I might as well go. And while I'm there, I'll move the bucket so the noise will stop. So get my clothes on, get my shoes on, go out of my tent, start walking to the latrine past Bob's tent. I can kind of hear him snoring. And I get close to the latrine. And first of all, the rain is just a light drizzle. Second of all, something, something just made me know that it was actually an animal. Yeah, it just, maybe it paused for a while, something, something about it. Like, I just realized this is something animate. And um, so the new hypothesis was there's an animal stuck in the latrine. I got to get Bob. something going on in the latrine. <laughs> I thought it was rain hitting a bucket. It's like there's no bucket in the latrine. <laughs> there's no bucket in the latrine. Okay, so so I think it's an animal. Oh okay, 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 I'm coming. I'm coming. So he comes out. We both have our flashlights by now. I don't think I even took my flashlight the first time. So we go over. And there, like about, okay, so the they're uprights, and there's like a kind of sink area with no water, of course, <laughs> at the latrine. And in the corner where the upright meets the lateral. <laughs> Clinging to the upright is a porcupine. <laughs> and as we get close with our flashlights, its spines go up 
if I had faced that alone, <laughs> my blood-curdling scream would have woken up everyone in the camp. So then I realized that sometimes you're paying forward for what you're going to need. <laughs> That's my story. Yeah, that's a great story. It's very funny. Love her. All right. And then this third story of scouting um, was also an audience storyteller, wasn't it? Yep. Elliot Wagenheim tells uh, the following story, which is just a really sweet story about being a dad um, on a, a Boy Scout trip and just um, being a dad who's all in to dadding. He's, he's dadding so hard in this story. Take a listen. So several years ago, my then 15-year-old son told me that he wanted to go to Philmont. Now, Philmont, for the uninitiated, is one of four high-adventure Boy Scout camps in the country. It involves a two-week trek, for us anyway, a two-week trek, 110 miles over the mountains and mesas of the northern New Mexico desert, carrying a 50-pound pack. I know. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know just from sitting there, but I love my recliner. <laughs> and, and indoor plumbing, don't even get me started on indoor plumbing. I love indoor plumbing. But here's the thing, and there's really no getting around this. When your 15-year-old tells you that he wants to spend two weeks with you, you walk through walls. So, I got up from my recliner. And I went to the gym. Now, I was a competitive swimmer in high school. I'm sure you could tell that. So I figured I'd start slow, maybe 20 laps, just to get the juices flowing, and then I'd start lifting weights. So I went in, I did two laps... And I was clinging to the side of the pool like a three-year-old in a storm. And only, only a force of will stopped me because I knew I couldn't spend less time in the pool than it took me to get dressed for the pool. So I gutted out six more laps and then took the walk of shame back to the locker room. But I went back. I went back the next day and the next day and I got up to 20 laps and 40 laps. And then three months later, I got up to 100 laps. And then I started, I cut it back to 50, started with a personal trainer. Now here's the thing about Philmont. Philmont isn't just the mountains and mesas and it's not just carrying the 50 pound pack but in the middle of Philmont there's a mountain which seems to be the theme of the evening. There's a mountain and it's 12,441 feet. Now, I would like to tell you that that mountain is called something cool, like Widowmaker or, or Dawson's Revenge, but it's not. It's called Mount Baldy. So named because that's what it looks like when you get above the tree line. And all I wanted to do was summit Mount Baldy. So in the pool, every stroke, I'm like, summit, summit, summit summit, all I wanted to do. 
So it wasn't too long. We landed in New Mexico June 19th. We're in the backcountry June 20th. Now, if you ask people, they will tell you that Philmont was beautiful. And it was. And they would tell you that it was the greatest experience of their lifetime, and it could be. And they will tell you that they had seen things that they had never seen before, and that may be true. But to me, it was brutal. <laughs> so we start our ascent to Mount Baldy in the middle of this, in, in the middle of our trek. We're starting the ascent. Now we've got four leaders. I was one because they can't call me a scout. So I was, they had four leaders, nine scouts. So we had two leaders up front, one leader in the middle, and then one leader in the back, and that was me. Now, I like to tell myself that being in the back was just damn good leadership. <laughs> but even I don't believe that lie because, frankly, by the time we got to that point, I had given everything I had to give. It was every bit a brutal trek, and I had lost track of where my crew was because of the switchbacks. To get up this mountain, you had switchbacks up and back, up and back, and it was everything I could do to get up there. And so finally, as I get near the top and I'm past the tree line, I round a corner, and I see my son, and he's just kind of leaning against an outcropping, and, and the dad in me is like, what's wrong? Because I realize there's no reception. You can't call 911, and even if you could get to 911, ain't nobody coming. It's the back country. And he said to me, nothing. I just want to summit with you. And that was my best moment as a father. And one of the best moments of my life. And I never once, not for one second, regretted leaving that recliner. <laughs> Thank you. Be prepared. Oh, yeah. Hashtag Scout Dad. Scout Dad. Um, Okay, well, so those are the three stories. See, you got through it. There was nothing nothing bad. I don't think the Boy Scouts could be mad at us. I don't think that people who hate the Boy Scouts could be mad at us. I think we got through this together. And people who love the Boy Scouts might love us. They might. Who knows? You know, it's just, it's a funny, wonderful, complicated world. And while we're in it, you should go to the wine source with as much frequency as possible, which is... <laughs> A segue for a podcast. Especially if you are going to be a parent um, chaperone on a scouting trip, please do not even think of going without taking yeah. some wine or beer or flask. That's of exactly fireball. what the Boy Scouts of America wants to hear is that they want. Fireball is so good. I actually recommend Fireball for a winter camping trip. Warms everything. Um, all right. Visit us at scoopstorytelling.com to learn about upcoming events or listen to stories. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stoop Storytelling Series. And thank you, Maureen, for producing and to y'all for listening. We'll be back soon with more stories from the Stoop.